This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great being back. And to talk about this week's Parsha, to hear what it has to say, to listen to the words of Moshe, to listen to the words of Moses, to listen to the words of Torah as, in fact, it comes down through the particular vocabulary and tone that Moshe gave it. It's an important Parsha because it contains a great many important laws, as all Parsha do, but this Parsha somehow carries with it a message of great importance because it talks about what at first seems to be diverse and separate types of laws. Nonetheless, we begin to see actually a line running through it that tells us a powerful and very, very inspirational story. And it's called Re'eh, see. God says, behold, see, look, and you will begin to understand things at an altogether different level. Sight, of course, is such a powerful sense that we possess. The ability to see things, colors, people, shapes, uh, well, sight, you know, sight in the, in the obvious sense of the word, in the figurative sense of the word, we are able to see, seeing, as they say, is believing. And while, of course, that's not entirely true, nonetheless, seeing does carry with it a tremendous sense of, well, saying for certain what something is all about. You cannot really argue with sight. You saw something, you see something, it's there. It presents itself. It has an authenticity that the other senses don't. Other senses are indirect, whereas sight is clear and obvious. And this Parsha begins with the word re'e, behold, see, God says to the Jewish people, Moshe says to the Jewish people, and we have to understand what is it in fact that he is telling them to see. And as I've mentioned a number of times since we began studying the book of Deuteronomy, that the entire book of Devarim, the entire book of Deuteronomy, carries with it a special dimension of Torah teaching, because it's the words of Moshe. And the words of Moshe, of course, are contained throughout the entire Torah, but nonetheless, over here he also injects his his feelings, the way he experienced the experiences that the Jewish people went through all these years, how he felt about it, what he saw, what made him feel great, what made him feel sad, what angered him, what enabled him to lead. And despite the difficulties, the challenges, the incredible challenges that the Jewish people presented from time to time in terms of their behavior, in terms of their, well, their arrogance and their stubbornness and their sometimes even greediness, nonetheless, Moshe continues to lead with a tremendous sense of concern and love and devotion. But at the same time, he shares with us the way he felt as well. And this is something which is important for us to understand, because when we understand Moshe completely, we begin to understand the story completely. We begin to understand the law completely. When we read words, yes, they carry a powerful message, but when they are coupled with the feelings of Moshe, it contains an altogether different type of dimension. And this is why the book of Deuteronomy generally is so important. And this Parsha in particular takes on a position of great importance because it's there to tell us something which is quite profound in terms of how we should be developing our lives, how we should be developing our own personal sage. And this is how the Parsha begins. Behold, says God, Moshe continues, God has instructed me to command you that you shall see, 
what I set before you. And what is it that I set before you, Brachoklala, blessing and curse? The blessing being that if you listen to the commandments of God and the curse, God forbid, being if you choose not to listen to the commandments of God and you turn away, you walk away from God, from his laws, from that which he demands from you, and you begin to follow strange gods that we have never known. And this is a very powerful opening, of course, in the best of times, but it contains within it certain words that need a certain amount of clarification, explanation, because when we look at the words directly, they carry with it a sense of insight that is vital in order for us to understand what this entire part is all about. Because the parsha speaks about a number of things. It speaks about idolatry. It speaks about kosher. It speaks about social responsibility. It speaks about festivals. It speaks about a great many different things. And as mentioned before, somehow as we look at it, they seem to be, well, disconnected. But nonetheless, through the power of re'e, of sight, and insight, we begin to have an understanding of how this whole parsha develops. And while, of course, the words read, behold, that you have to see what God has given you, when you take a look at the actual words and begin to translate them one by one, re'eh anochi, what an actual fact is being told to us is that God has to be seen, re'eh, see anochi, see the essence of God. Now, it's not possible to see the essence of God. We are limited creatures. We are limited human beings. We are people that have a limited understanding, a limited dimension of insight, as great as you hear me speak about so very often, as great as our intellect is, and it is indeed incredibly great. Nonetheless, it is ultimately limited by the fact that we happen to be human beings. And although we are able to develop profound dimensions of insight, of reason, of intellectual development, we cannot understand the infinite, we cannot understand God, and yet Moshe seems to tell us that we have to see God. How is it possible that he asks us, in fact instructs us to see God? And while he introduces this with a general statement of what is the blessing and what is the curse, the blessing being listening to God and the curse being, well, not listening to God, the fact remains, how is it that we're, how is it that we are able to behold, to see the essence of God? And the answer, of course, is in general terms, is that when we are told to see something, we can either look at the thing itself, and we might understand what we're looking at, we might appreciate what we're looking at, or we can understand the consequences of certain types of behavior that brings us back to an understanding of that which we've seen. You look at something, you see something, do you truly understand it? Probably not. But you see something, you see, well, you see a home, you see a structure, you see anything, you see a mountain, you see an ocean. Do you really understand what you're seeing? You're overwhelmed by the sight, by the majestic beauty of a mountain, by the incredible vastness of the sea, by the intricate beauty of the architecture of a home. But do you understand what, in fact, really is behind the scenes. What is the essence of that thing? What makes the mountain the mountain? Is it just a big piece of rock sticking out of the ground? What makes the sea, the oceans, what they are? Just a huge, vast pool of water? What makes the home? And we begin to understand, as I mentioned some weeks ago, that the detail, 
The specific detail of everything is what, in fact, is the true knowledge, the true understanding of that. When we begin to understand the makeup of the mountain, the makeup of the sea, the makeup of anything that we see, then we begin to truly appreciate what, in fact, it's all about. And Re'ei Anochi, what Moshe is telling us, is that the way we can understand, and yes, see God, see the infinite dimension of godliness, the Anochi of God, the very same term that he uses at the beginning of the Ten Commandments at Revelation at Sinai, Anochi, Hashem Lekechem, I am God, your God, Anochi, is the very essential, powerful description of how God finds himself at the moment of Revelation at Sinai. It's the Anochi, we have to look for the Anochi in so many different areas of life, and generally it falls into the category of listening and therefore seeing blessing and therefore seeing godliness or God forbid not listening and seeing the opposite of blessing and yet seeing godliness as well. And this is the Re'eyanochi, what Moshe is telling us. I'm going to teach you in this parsha how to see godliness, not by looking at the thing itself because it is beyond you, but understanding the consequences of what type of behavior emanates from this view, then you'll begin to understand and see the essence as well. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about Re'eh, we're talking about seeing God and godliness, we're talking about seeing the essence of God, and we know that we cannot see it directly, but we can see it indirectly, and indirectly is through our behavior and our interaction with the world that God created, what God told us to do, and how to walk the narrow line of life correctly, ethically, morally, then we know how to see godliness within the creation that God brought into being. We're talking about the idea of seeing godliness within creation, and this is why when we take a look at the Parsha, we come across, well, basically four particular laws that are interspersed throughout the Parsha at different times and different places. Number one is idolatry, the prohibition against idolatry. God telling the Jewish people, Moshe telling the Jewish people, when you finally come into the promised land, don't be tempted by their particular religious behavior that they have been observing because that was an abomination. That was something which God deeply disliked. And this is why he's driving those nations out of the Holy Land. They have contaminated the land with the particular types of idolatry. And again, throughout the world, look out for idolatry. Look out for prophets or dreamer of dreams who do magical, miraculous tricks, and yet they try to make you walk away from the law of God. Idolatry plays a very central role and theme in this week's Parsha. And then we speak about the idea of kosher food, which animals are kosher, which fish are kosher, which birds are kosher. Yes, we've read it previously in the Torah, but Moshe repeats it this week. And we are told that various types of animals can be eaten, other animals cannot be eaten. This is proper for a Jewish diet. This is improper. This is appropriate. This is inappropriate. This type of fish, this type of bird, etc., etc., etc. And the idea of kashrut is talked to us at great length, told to us at great length in this week's Parsha by Moshe. 
We speak about the festivals and how each festival has to be fulfilled in its proper way. The festivity, the joy, the particular type of observance that comes with each and every single festival. And then we talk about social responsibility, looking out for the less fortunate within our communities and making sure that those who don't have do have, that the less fortunate are in fact taken care of by those that God has given great bounty. And this is the entire Parsha almost. We begin to see idolatry, we begin to talk about kosher food, we speak about the festivals, we speak about social responsibility. What is idolatry? At the end of the day, when you want to really understand what idolatry is, it's not only imagery, it's not only certain types of philosophies. It is anything which is man-made, made by a human being or a group of human beings. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is not necessarily a statue. Of course it's a statue. It's not only a symbol. Of course it's the symbol. But at the same time, basically, it comes about as the result of human endeavor. This is what we have done. This is the God that we created. Now, it makes a lot of sense that if man creates his God, then he's in charge of his God. He doesn't have to listen to his God. He forms and shapes his God in the way that he wants his God to behave. And therefore, if he wants his God to behave in a violent sort of way, he will create a violent God. And he will say, this is my God, and this is what I do, and this is why I do what I do. Forgetting for a moment that he himself has made that God. If he wants a God of immoral behavior, then he will create a God of immoral behavior. And his life and lifestyle will follow immoral behavior, claiming to follow the dictates of his God. Again, forgetting for a moment that he himself has made that God. And this is true in every single area of life. When it comes to a man-made God, essentially what man is doing is creating for himself a deity, a structure, an authority that he himself made based upon his own, well, sometimes strength, sometimes weaknesses. And it's this God that he is praying to, and it's this God that he listens to, and it's this God that he follows in terms of his personal behavior. What does our God say? Our God says, be very careful of idolatry. Be very careful of any ism, of any idea, of any attitude that is man-made. First of all, because it's man-made, it's limited. And because it's limited, it might apply to a specific time and space, but it doesn't have infinite universal appeal, again, across all time and across all space. And in order for a truth to be a truth, it has to be applicable in every situation, in every time, in every place. And this is something that we have to understand. What are we being told when we are given the instruction to remove ourselves from any type of idolatrous influence or idolatrous behavior? Be careful of anything that limits you. Be careful of anything that manipulates you in a way that brings out your negative behavior. And this is why one of the forms of idolatry that we talk about in this week's Parsha, that if a dreamer of dreams comes along, or a prophet who comes along, and in fact performs miracles, but his message is to walk away from the law of God, that is a false prophet, and it's that prophet that you should not listen to. Walk away from him. 
In other words, it's the behavior. It's the bottom line behavior that ultimately determines where, in fact, this law came from. And when you take a look at Torah law, Torah law exists in all time, in all space, wherever the Jewish people were. We put on film in the wilderness. We put on film as we march through history, put on film today, wherever we are in the world. Yes, there might be certain slight differences between Ashkenazim and Sephardim, Hasidim, etc. But the point is, we all put on film. We observe Shabbos. Shabbat is observed wherever, whenever, through the most trying times. Situations where the Jewish people, God forbid, were put to death for the observance of mitzvahs. There were those who did what they had to do in secret, putting themselves at risk, but protecting the law of God. And this is something that we have to understand. Our law comes from Hashem, an infinite God, far beyond the dimensions of any type of human construct. We are the servants of God. We are those who are beholden to God. We recognize his authority. We celebrate his authority. We rejoice in his authority. And it's the law that he has given us through the Torah that enables us to survive, as you've heard me say so many times before. What makes us Jewish is the fact that we will somehow continue to hold on to the legacy of what authentic Yiddishkeit is all about. Tarbalah, yes. In fact, as our sages tell us, far more than the Jews have protected the Shabbos. The Shabbos has protected the Jews. That's the way it is. We observe the laws, and those laws protect us. They protect our identity. They protect our strength, our character, who we are, what we are. They make sure that we walk the straight and narrow. Yes, of course, we stumble from time to time. Every one of us makes mistakes from time to time. But the point remains that it's Torah law that continuously enables us to understand and to see what is correct, what is appropriate, what is ethical, what is moral, what is proper, what is right, and what is wrong. And when we begin to walk away from those structures... And we turn our back on the authority of God. That's when you have the loss of the Jewish people as his people. But nonetheless, throughout the ages, sometimes only a handful, but throughout the ages, the Jewish people remained loyal to Hashem, to his law, because recognizing what idolatry is, idolatry ultimately is a man-made mechanism, a man-made structure, a man-made philosophy, a man-made idea that has a limited appeal in a limited space for a limited time, but it cannot be carried on from generation to generation. This is why throughout the ages, when the Jewish people embraced false ideas Yes, it remained for a generation, two generations, never more than three or four generations. Those people were lost, tragically lost. And this is what Moshe is saying, Re'e The first prohibition that we talk about in this week's parsha is the prohibition against idolatry, because when you begin to examine the essence, the truth, the source, the root of that which you believe in, you will see very quickly if this is made by man or this is made by God. 
And when you come to that distinction, this is the idea of the blessing and the curse. The blessing is when you become come to realize this is a law from an infinite God, a God who gave us a Torah, a God who gave us a truth, a God who gave us the ability to recognize, to see clarity in every single situation at every single time. And it talks about food as well. It's how we eat and what we eat and when we eat and why we eat and why certain things are kosher and certain things are not kosher. What does kosher mean? It's appropriate. It's proper. It's fitting. Why certain things will interfere with your character. Why certain things that you eat, we know full well. We know full well that in terms of diet, what we eat has a profound effect upon our behavior, upon our mannerisms, upon our attitudes. Yes, you know, we speak to anybody who's interested, who knows anything about health, you'll begin to realize very quickly that what we eat has a profound effect on our health, has a profound effect on our behavior. We talk about the influence of this food or that food, hyperactivity, all sorts of nervous reactions comes about as a result of the ingestion of the wrong foods. Some people are, well, tolerant of this and tolerant of that, but not tolerant of other things. They're intolerant of certain things, and when they eat those things, they put themselves at risk. And God constructed the overall general DNA of the Jewish people, that kosher food, by and large, is good for you, is something that will bring you health and strength and clarity. Non-kosher food will break down your identity. It will interfere with your growth, with your spiritual growth, which will interfere with your intellectual and emotional growth. It will interfere with you as a human being. And it's in there that we begin to see godliness. We begin to see godliness within the world that he made, the food that we eat. Not only in terms of specific situations that from time to time our health masters tell us are good for us or bad for us, and something which is good now and not good later. We are talking about the ideas of kosher, which is an everlasting law in all times, in all places. Whether we have those foods or we don't have those foods, the fact remains it is the kosher food that enables us to develop properly on every one of our senses. And this is the re'eyanochi, this is the curse and the blessing, to recognize the presence of godliness even in the food that we eat. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the idea of recognizing godliness in our ideas, philosophies, faith, Rejection of idolatry, recognizing the truth of idolatry, recognizing the failure, the basic failure of man-made structures, ideas, and attitudes to last for, well, for an infinite amount of time. And we talk about the truth of Torah, which lasts throughout time, all times, all places, and all spaces 
affecting all people. We're talking about the food that we eat, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, because as we know, food has a powerful effect upon our behavior, upon our attitudes, upon our nervous system functioning properly, upon, well, so many different things. And for the Jewish people, it goes to a higher and different dimension with the idea of kosher food. Certain things are appropriate. Certain things are destructive. This is seeing the godliness in every single, in the ideas, in the faith at the highest level, in the food that we eat. We examine things carefully. But before we continue with that, another word from the marketplace. If you have a community event coming up, did you know High FM will mention it for free on air? Plus, we'll list it on our events page on highfm.com. Interested? Have an event you want to promote? Email mandy at highfm.com. That's mandy at highfm.com. 101.9 101.9 high FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We're talking about the idea of the four things mentioned in the Parsha primarily, and then we talk about, well, social responsibility, looking for those who have less than we do, understanding the plight of others, recognizing that there has to be a caring, sharing attitude. You are not isolated, you are not selfish, you are not alone, you are part and parcel of a greater world, and God has given you certain things that you can share with others, material things, emotional things, intellectual things, spiritual things. You don't live in your own head, you don't live in your own heart, you don't live in your own body. Yes, you possess all those things and you have your own soul but you are part and parcel of a greater world and therefore you have to look into your community and ask yourself who needs help and what kind of help do they need and that's where you recognize godliness in the true application of ethical ideas and ideals not talking about them not talking and bulbering about them like some super liberals do but to actually do something about it to get down and give of yourself not just give ideas and attitudes and criticize others for their behavior. That's not nearly enough. Not talk about lofty concepts and wonderful things, sitting around drinking wine and having a good time, but getting down and doing something for an individual who has less than you do. They need some emotional comfort, and you have emotional strength, then you are obligated to share that emotion. You have a piece of bread. Yes, you're obligated to share that piece of bread with someone else. It's an important thing to realize that unless we recognize the idea of giving, of sharing, this is why Torah speaks about tithes, not because we want to tax somebody, but it's because every single individual is obligated to give of what they can and should give in order to make their society, their community, their world a better place, a place where we can all live together in relative comfort. And why does God give us something, not only because we deserve it and we want it and we're going to get it, yes, we do deserve it and we do want it and we're going to get it, but also to give us the ability to share it with others as well. The ultimate act of receiving is giving. The ultimate act of caring is when you take something that you worked for, something that you toiled for, something that you made, 
and you share it with someone else. You have an idea. You have something that you are able to give. This is where you see godliness and interhuman relationships on every single level. And then we speak about the festivals. And there's a word that appears by the festivals again and again and again. And that word is to rejoice during your festivals. The idea of having a joyous outlook on life. That's one of the powerful ways of seeing godliness in the world that we live in. If we're negative, if we're critical, if we are morose, if we are misanthropic, we will never see godliness. It becomes too narrow. It becomes too selfish. It becomes too small. It becomes too dark. If everything that we see is through, well, eyes that don't truly appreciate goodness and joy, if we don't allow our hearts to run with joy, if we don't celebrate properly, then ultimately life becomes a downer. And when life becomes a downer, we don't see godliness. Godliness and happiness are synonymous because when we are uplifted, when we raise ourselves above the difficulties and recognize the challenges for what they are, ultimately they are great opportunities and ultimately they are there for us to transform into something greater and better and finer. That takes a tremendous disposition of joy, of celebration. And that's what the Chagim are all about. The Chagim, of course, are to celebrate particular seasons. The season of, well, spring, freedom, Pesach, giving of the Torah and Shavuot, the harvest when it comes to the celebration of Sukkot, etc., 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 and the various mitzvot can connected with those festival, very, very important, ultimately important. But at the same time, the dimension of joy, which is so important. And this is why I often think about, well, I shouldn't speak about it because this is where I am in the media, how the media more than often promotes negativity and tragedy. And, well, you know, the old story, God forbid, if, if, if a plane crashes at the airport, that makes news. If a plane landed safely, that's not news. We have to look at the news of an airplane landing safely, of something joyous, of something happy. We have to learn how to put a smile on our faces and a smile on the faces of others. And it's not only happy, happy, happy. It comes from an inner sense of faith, this tremendous courage of seeing the positive in the world, the tremendous strength of seeing the goodness in the world, of looking beyond the difficulties, at looking beyond the shortcomings of others and recognizing their qualities and helping those individuals bring those qualities out. Yes, everybody has negative points. Everybody has shortcomings. Everybody has limitations. It's our job as within our own lives, to draw out the good, the powerful, the joyous, to bring it out in others as well. And that comes with a tremendous degree of joy as well. And this is what this parish is all about, to see godliness in whatever it is that we do. In our faith, the rejection of idolatry, the acceptance of God and his law, 
the rejection of limited concepts and to look for something which transcends time and space and applies to all of us at all times and in all places. To understand the concept of the food that we eat, the physical involvement of our world, to recognize that godliness there, what is good for us and what is not good for us. To understand the responsibility of social concern, of social responsibility, the ability to share and to give. And ultimately, of course, the ability to bring about a state of joy within ourselves and thereby bringing out a state of joy in the world that we live in. And this is the parsha of seeing things. Look at those things, work at those things, and you will begin to see not only godliness, but the essence of godliness in the world that he created. And this is why when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the parsha carefully. Wonderful sentences coming from the mouth of Moshe. Moshe tells us how to behave, how to think, how to feel, how to develop, how to grow, how to make ourselves and this world a much better place. Listen to the Parsha carefully, to each and every single detail. Try to apply them to yourself. See within yourself where you can take any one of those mitzvahs and make it so much better. Good Shabbos.